Hello, my name is Stanley Bill. You're listening to Notes from Poland. This week, I'm talking with Jennifer Croft, the award-winning translator of Poland's new Nobel laureate, Olga Tokarczuk. We'll be talking about Tokarczuk's work, but also about Jennifer's own path into Polish culture. Notesfrompoland.com is the leading English language source of news, insight and analysis on Poland. In this podcast, I look at the country from all angles, politics, history, culture and society. You can get more news and the deeper stories about Poland at notesfrompoland.com. This week, my guest is Jennifer Croft. Together with Antonia Lloyd-Jones, Jennifer is one of two translators who have brought into English the work of Olga Tokarczuk, the Polish novelist who will receive the Nobel Prize in Literature for 2018 next month in Stockholm. The Swedish Academy has awarded Tokarczuk the prize for, and I quote, a narrative imagination that with encyclopedic passion represents the crossing of boundaries as a form of life. Tokarczuk is an extraordinary writer, loved by many readers in Poland, but also controversial in some circles. She has attracted negative attention and even death threats for her strong resistance to what she sees as simplistic models of self-glorifying national history. She has not been popular with the current government. The culture minister has even become famous in the international media for confessing that he has not read her work. Well, thanks to Jennifer Croft, we can read Olga Tukarczuk's work in English. Jennifer is a translator from Polish, but also from Spanish, especially in its Argentine variety. But she's also a writer and a traveller. She originally comes from Oklahoma in the United States, but she's lived in Chicago, Warsaw, Kraków, Paris, Buenos Aires, Los Angeles, New York, and other places. In 2018, together with Olga Tukarczuk, she won the International Booker Prize for her translation of the novel Flights. This year, she's published her own first book, a memoir entitled Homesick. Jennifer, welcome to Notes from Poland. Hi, Stan. That was such an amazing introduction. Thank you. Well, there's a lot to say. I had to cut it down. Um, I want to start uh, with your reactions to the news of Olga Tukarczuk uh, winning the Nobel Prize in Literature. Now, you actually predicted this uh, several years ago. Um, why? Why did you think she was going to win? So first, I'll just say that predicting it and being fairly sure that it was going to happen did not mean that I did not scream and run around my apartment at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> LA time when I found out, thereby completely terrifying my two cats who never forgave me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really felt that she was going to win the Nobel Prize in the same way that I told people as soon as flights came out a year before the Booker that I thought that she had a really good shot at winning the Booker. I think one of the main reasons why I felt sure that Olga was going to win all the prizes 
is this perfect balance she manages to strike between being supremely accessible to a general readership as well as critically acclaimed. And it's so rare for a writer to be able to do that, to be genuinely ambitious and undaunted by any kind of formal barriers or um, any other constraints that other people might run up against. Um, but also just write in this beautiful, wonderful, lyrical style that people really love. I mean, she has this project of speaking to people, and I think that really works. I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, it's something that always strikes me about Tukarczuk is that she's loved by readers in Poland. She she wins reader popularity uh, awards, and she's uh, loved everywhere she goes when she has readings. There are people that, uh, crowds of people that want uh, her to sign uh, uh, her books, and but at the same time, as you say, she's critically acclaimed. Yeah, and that effect that she has on people at her readings also super transcends language barriers. I mean, she... She just manages to speak to people. People really gravitate towards her, and um, and that is also a really uncommon phenomenon. Um, so I think just that ability to connect with people is kind of her her greatest virtue. And then I think there are some thematic interests she has that would have seemed to me to also align pretty well with the Nobel Committee's interests politically and uh, philosophically. So although, of course, that can be hard to predict. but um, Which ones in particular do you think may have appealed? I mean, thinking of the books of Jacob, which of course isn't out in English yet, but was first the first translation of that to be published uh, was the Swedish translation by Jan-Henrik Svahn. And um, so that book was available to the judges. Yes, it was. And that's really Olga's masterpiece. I mean, who knows what she, I'm sure she's going to write many, many, many more books. And I'm sure each one is going to be better than the last. But to date, this is really just such an impressive quite extraordinary work of literature. And Could you t- tell us about it, actually, because you're working on translating it now. It's going to be in the hands of English readers uh, perhaps next year. Uh, could you tell us, uh, describe this book to us, Books of Jacob, the masterpiece uh, of Olga Tukarczuk, published in 2014, uh, I believe, in Poland. So it'll be out in English in 2021. Um, and it's the story of a real historical figure named Jacob Frank, who was the leader of a Jewish heretical sect in the 18th century. The book begins in 1752, and it follows a huge cast of characters as they are influenced by Jacob Frank in a number of very different ways. A lot of attention paid to the women in the story, which is also one of Olga's kind of hallmarks. Um, So Jacob Frank is basically a cult leader, and it's a really fascinating study in the genesis of an extremely compelling and influential cult um, that also 
sheds a lot of light on the political and religious and social situations in the various places through which the Frankists moved. Um, and it goes, it switches between perspectives so fluidly and also is always so attentive to language. Um, the characters are all speaking many different languages from Turkish to Hebrew to Yiddish to Polish um, to French. And everyone is thinking somewhat selfishly and everyone's interests are somewhat different. And it's just, I've never quite read anything like it. I think when I first, when she first sent me the manuscript in 2014, my first association with, was with uh, Roberto Bolaño's 2666, which, yep. as you know, is a book that I really admired. Yes, the but great think, Chilean uh, author. Yeah, um, and it, that is also a book that is very international and um, relentless in its exploration of a different kind of violence, but... Um, I think what really, really struck me about the Olga's book, about the books of Jacob, is the way in which the sights and sounds of this vast area between what's now Poland and what's now Turkey uh, a few hundred years ago are brought to life so vividly in her prose. There's something very sensual about so many of the descriptions in the book. And I know that in, prep, in her uh, quite fastidious preparation for the writing of the book, she traveled uh, to Ukraine and, and, and various other countries um, in which uh, the, the, the book would take place or the, the, the modern countries uh, uh, that following on from, from the action. Uh, and, and you can really feel that, that she's brought these scenes to life, the, the particular look of a river or the sound of a river, the particular smell of the grasses and flowers um, of, a, of a place. Uh, there's a great uh, vividness uh, to the way that, that she does that. Um, and then also the way in which the characters speak in very different voices. You talked about the way in which they each have their different concerns, but they are written as very different people simply in the types of words they use, the ways in which they express themselves. Um, is that a challenge at the moment as you work on the translation to reproduce uh, the difference of those voices and those various characters? I thought it would be more of a challenge than it actually is because Olga has done such a great job that I just kind of have to follow her lead. But I will second um, your emphasis on these sensual details. I mean, I think um, I've also never read anything that is so consistent about reminding me of where I am and in what period I have found myself. And she's so great about, uh, I mean, there's such... There's, the stakes are so high in this book and so many important things are happening, but she never lets you forget that when these people walk out of a meeting with high up dignitaries, for example, they just step into mud or Jacob Frank Absolutely. is imprisoned for a while in Tessahova and she describes perfectly this very chipped chamber porcelain chamber pot that can scrape them at various times <laughs> um and all of the smells and most of them are terrible and yeah uh, it's and all of the noise it's just it's a it is that makes it also 
so exciting because as you say it becomes so vibrant that you really feel like you're living this in a way that you couldn't possibly do if you were um, merely reading the historical sources that Olga studied for about yes. a decade before writing this book. And it really feels like she went to Istanbul in the 18th century, for example. Yes. You know, or uh, that, that, this, that this whole area um, she's experienced, certainly she has in her imagination, but she puts it on the page in a way that um, brings it to life for the reader. Um, so could you tell us a, a bit more about the translation experience with Olga Tukarchuk? So... You and Olga together won the Booker International Prize for Flights, so Bieguni, uh, the Polish title. Um, so the, the process of translating itself, was there much dialogue between the two of you? Uh, that's one question. And then secondly, uh, you won this prize together, and therefore your contribution was very important, was recognized by the prize. So I'm interested in how you see your contribution to uh, that book as it presented itself in English and how, how you felt you were shaping it into English and presenting it to the English reader. The most striking thing is that you changed the title. Um, so you've, you've really made a, a big impact on the way the book has been received. Um, how did you think about that as you were going along? And how did you talk about it with Olga Tukarczuk? So my understanding of what it means to be a translator has also changed pretty radically in the time that I've been doing it. I, I began translating from Russian when I was still in Tulsa as an undergraduate. And then I, I did a master's degree in fine arts at the University of Iowa in literary translation. And at that time, I still understood, I mean, I was 19 when I started that program. I still understood translation as doing a faithful rendition of a book that I liked, um, making as faithful a copy as I possibly could. And not only do I no longer think that that should be the goal of just the translation itself, but also I have come to understand that the role that I want to have is a much more holistic one. And it's also the role that I feel that I need to have in order to, because if I'm going to translate something, there's no point in translating into a void. And that means that I have to also kind of fully represent the author and the work that shows others how much I believe in it and how it can speak to them. Um, so you're really thinking about the English language reader in this case um, from the very beginning of the process. Yeah. So, I mean, I started publishing, I, I came across Olga's short stories when I was still at the University of Iowa. She had published a collection in 2001, and I really loved a lot of those stories. And I published a couple of those early on. And then when Biguni came out in 2007, I thought it was just so exciting, and I really wanted to work on it. I met with Olga, um, but I she has never been one to certainly not micromanage her translators. She also has many translators into many different languages. So um, trying to oversee all of that work would be impractical in any case. But she really is the kind of writer who, when she's done with a book, she's done with it. And I think that's a really great attitude to have. Um, she's always kind of on to the next challenge. Yeah. So she didn't get too involved in the translation itself. And I started out just publishing a few excerpts here and there, which I thought 
I, I thought at the time that that would be enough. The first excerpt I published was in 2009. Um, and then I, then I got, ex, that was in a journal called Exchanges, which was a small journal. And then I started to find bigger places. I published excerpts of flights in BOM and N plus one and the Brooklyn Rail and just like slightly larger audiences thought that would help, started meeting with editors and corresponding with editors. And I consistently got the response that this was just not going to appeal to Americans because it was too slow and it was a little bit confusing what the structure of the book was. Maybe you can quickly tell the listeners about, uh, for those who, who haven't read the book, a little bit about that structure or how the book unfolds while you're moving through this explanation. Sure. So Olga describes Flights as a constellation novel, the idea being that she gives the reader a number of fragments and philosophical musings and anecdotes and longer stories that are on the surface maybe not that connected to one another they are but they're not they're you don't have the same characters um throughout all of them and um what she wants is for the reader to actively participate in the process in other words it is akin to walking out and looking up at the night sky and seeing this chaos of stars and making drawing connections between those points of light in order to kind of make something meaningful for yourself. So it's the, similar to the production of constellations um, in that the reader can choose how, how the book is going to speak to her, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, and I, in general, I really like books that ask the reader to kind of talk back. I don't... Um... I mean, this book, as you say, is a good example of what you were describing earlier, which is the ambitiousness of the book from a formal point of view, uh, and yet at the same time, uh, the, the way in which it, it manages to stay accessible and interesting and appealing um, to a broad number of readers. Yeah. I mean, people... The response since the book or since it got some publicity has been overwhelming. People really like this book. So all of these editors who told me for a full decade that no one was ever <laughs> going to read it are really kicking themselves now. But yeah. for me... Um, this is the translator as champion for a book. This is the yeah. role you played. Yeah. I mean, and also for a long time, Olga didn't have an agent, which in the Anglophone world is kind of impossible to pull yeah. off so I was also in a way acting as that kind of champion too mm -hmm. I got grants I wrote um, pieces about her writing so you changed the title um, from Bieguni um, in Polish which I'll let you uh, explain what that means to flights um, it's an interesting idea this change of title it's not the first time that's happened with a translated book but could you tell us a little bit about what, why you did it and what the meanings are sure yeah, so oftentimes the title of a book is changed by the publisher. Um, I think this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. And I didn't really realize it until relatively recently. Um, in my case, I had thought the working title of Flights was Runners for many years, and that had been proposed, I believe, by the Book Institute of Poland. And that's an approximate translation of what the word bieguni means? 
So the yes, sort of, but the word in Polish is not the word for people who go jogging or people who run marathons. It's um, it refers also to a sect, a religious sect. Um, in this case, a Russian Orthodox sect that believed that you had to remain in constant motion in order to escape the devil, and that comes up, of course, in the book, um, in the yes. titular story in particular. So Olga's very interested in religious sects in general. We can see this. She is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fascinated by religion. Um, so I hated the title "runners" because it, in English, "runners" is so banal. Mm-hmm. And I thought the Polish title, because it has this root, yes. yig, which is recognizable to all speakers of Slavic languages as having to do with running, people have a sense of what it is, but you would still, most people would still have had to Google that word. Yeah. And there isn't even a separate Wikipedia entry about it in Polish. Um, so it's, so it is an esoteric title in a way. It's an esoteric title, and I wanted something that would that would do exactly what I described Olga's writing as doing in general. So I wanted something that would be simultaneously kind of intellectually inviting, but also accessible. So a simple word like the root big um, that would maybe connote other associations for people. So obviously this title doesn't refer to just plain travel. Um, Yeah. And I tried to also then incorporate that into the translation by using the verb to flee, and which I also think is an important, you know, that's an important theme in flights, and it's an important theme for Olga, this idea of having to flee for various, having to escape. Um, and that's such an important topic of conversation in general in mm-hmm. 2019. Um, yeah. And then phrases like flights of fancy... Um, and others. So I just, I wanted something that would be kind of sparkly and associative in the way that I felt the book is. Yeah, I, I think it worked extremely well. And uh, I think, I, I, well, I remember Olga uh, uh, saying at the one of the Booker ceremonies, I think even, that the, the book had also taken on a new resonance in the aftermath of the migration crisis in Europe uh, and that your your title in a way really spoke to that in a, in a way that the original title may not quite as clearly. Uh, I think she even said that if she were to rewrite the novel she would certainly be including um, an element of refugees in there which is which is not in there at present but it, the way in which the book in your translation and in this new version of it, it's quite a long time after the publication of the original Polish version um, had taken on new meanings for new readers. Okay, we're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the difference between writing and translating, and finally, about Jennifer's path into Polish culture. There has never been a more important time to understand Poland. At notesfrompoland.com, we're dedicated to providing comprehensive coverage of Polish current affairs, society, culture and history as well as regular analysis and opinion from a wide range of expert authors. But we can't do all this without your support. Every donation to our independent non-profit foundation helps our editorial team to create new content, from breaking news stories to deeper insight pieces. By supporting our work, 
You'll be part of our mission to bring the full picture on Poland to the world with no paywall. Please consider making a donation at notesfrompoland.com. You are a writer and a translator. Uh, so you've just published your first uh, book, uh, the memoir, uh, Homesick. Um, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about it, but also I'm very interested in how you view the difference between writing and translating, how you would compare these two um, creative acts, which are sometimes brought together. And I think there's a greater um, appreciation for the translator's art and the prize you won together with Olga Tukarczyk, the Booker International Prize, very much acknowledges the writer and the translator together on the same level. Um, and so that's something that we've, we've seen in recent times. How do you compare these two creative acts? I always thought of translation as a kind of apprenticeship in writing, and I always chose books to translate that really spoke to me on a on a kind of emotional level, but also on an intellectual level, and books that I thought would be able to teach me something about how I was eventually going to write. Um, and it took me a long time and a lot of experiments to come to a style that I felt really worked for me. but. Translating along the way was essential, I would say. And I was very mindful of what elements I was taking from each writer I was working with. Um, and also the elements that I was taking from the particular languages. Like, I am mm -hmm. fascinated by the Slavic grammars. I have always been a real grammar nerd when it comes to my studies of the Slavic languages. So I love... Um, the fact that you, you taught Polish, by the way, at Northwestern University in Chicago, did you not? I did, yes. So I, your knowledge of Polish grammar um, is serious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I well, I started part of what homesick is about is how I started studying languages, and I really started by learning Russian grammar, and I was really fascinated from from the beginning by the fact that. Um, Slavic languages have grammatical case, which English, of course, used to have, um, and other languages have as well. But what that means is that you can cha you cha have to change the ending of a noun in the same way that we might change the end of a verb to show who's doing what um, or how many people are doing it. So because the form of the noun changes in the sentence to indicate its function, it frees up word order in a way that yes. we don't have in English. So I have always really loved that idea that in order to emphasize something or even to generate micro suspense in an individual sentence, you can play around with the order of the words and thereby change the order in which you convey the information you need to convey. Um, so that was something that I also tried to introduce into my own writing in English. I tried to play around with the syntax. Very interesting. As much as I could. Final question for you. Can you tell us a bit about your own path into Polish culture? So I, I started studying Polish at the University of Iowa, and I studied Polish pretty intensively here for, I say here because I'm currently teaching a translation workshop at the University of Iowa so many years later. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I studied intensively for two years, and then I got a, there's a 
grant in the U.S. called a Foreign Language and Area Studies grant. So I got that to go to Krakow for the summer um, right after I finished my MFA in 2003. And then I got also for that for that academic year um, a Fulbright to go to the University of Warsaw and to translate contemporary women writers from Polish into English. Um, so that was really, it was such a, an interesting time to be in Poland um, just before, just as Poland was trying to decide, in fact, whether or not to join the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, and things changed, of course, fairly significantly after Poland did join the EU. Cities look very different from how they did. I mean, I'm a little bit... Anyways. You were there for that transition. I was there for the, that transition. I'm, I was going to say, I'm sure that you might share a little bit of my jealousy of people who were there before, like yeah. before. Yeah. That must have also been such an interesting time, and it must be so interesting to be able to compare. Um, but the, the change from the early 2000s even that you're talking about to today is just absolutely enormous. Uh, and, and you were there, of course, in a, in a period where that really rapid change began, which was around the time of the accession to the European Union. Yeah, and then I think about 10 years passed. So then I started going pretty frequently to Krakow, um, the reason being that this Polish Book Institute is headquartered in Krakow. Uh, they've only now just opened a residency in Warsaw for translators, but they offered this great program um, in this beautiful villa, uh, not in the city center of Krakow, but on these beautiful grounds where translators could go and work on their projects. Krakow Krakow treats writers and translators well, doesn't it? Yes. Um, It's a city of literature, much like Iowa City. Like Iowa City. And so how long did you spend in Krakow? All together? Because you've been back and forward a few times. Yeah, I mean, I spent several whole summers there as well as a full year, academic year there. Um, I'm not sure exactly how long it... I I go back pretty frequently. Though. There are also conferences sometimes. I mean, I always end up... I'm going to Krakow in a few weeks. I always end up passing through Krakow, at least. Um, but the, but a lot, about a decade passed between when I um, lived in Warsaw and when I returned to Warsaw, which actually I don't, I can't explain how that happened because I really liked Warsaw and I was really interested in Warsaw. Somehow I just kept, um, being taken to Krakow for reasons external to my own desires. Krakow has a pool. It does. Yeah. Of of a certain kind. So you, but you go back, you go back regularly and you stay in contact with Polish culture and, and with the Polish language. Is that important for you translating from Polish that you're actually in contact with living language by being there? Yeah. I mean, that is, that was certainly part of my initial project as a translator. I felt that I would only work from a language if I could live in a country where that language was spoken. And that's actually why I only, for now, translate from Argentine Spanish because I've never lived in another Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. country. Yeah. So I feel like I wouldn't really understand the little the daily rhythms of the way that people speak and so forth. Yeah. I think that I have spent less time in Poland recently than I would like to have if I were going to be taking on new writers. I've been working with Olga for such a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, that I kind of feel like, 
our I almost feel like our relationship is independent of my yeah. relationship with Poland, which is a complex relationship. Um, so Olga's literature and her literary language are, make up their own land in a way that you're very familiar with, and so you yes. feel that you're always there to some extent. Yes, but that being said, I do I do go back to I have gone back to Poland at least once mm-hmm. a year and often yeah. more, and I'm about to go spend two weeks in Wrocław. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going again in May for two weeks to Warsaw. So yes, I. So in Wrocław, will you be doing some things with Olga? There is there are there some events taking that, place or. Not events, hopefully. I hope um, I don't have to do a bunch of readings because I'm. what I'm trying to do is try to finish the translation of yeah. Books of Jacob, which I have to turn in at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going and hopefully I can just ask her a few final questions and um, it'll just be really inspiring to be there and see all of these um, quotes of Olga's work that they have put around Wrocław and yeah. um, just all of the, the celebratory atmosphere. And then I'm from there I'm flying to Stockholm. Um, so you'll be there for the Nobel uh, ceremony? Yes, I'm going for the speech, which is on December 7th, yes. and the ceremony on December 10th. And I'm co-translating that speech with Antonia Lloyd-Jones. Wonderful, wonderful. So so the, the Nobel address itself you'll be tra- you'll be translating together with Antonia? Yes. Okay, that's very fitting um, because the, the two of you have obviously made this great contribution um, to Olga's reception in the English-speaking world, created the reception of uh, Olga Tokarczuk in the English-speaking world. Uh, well, Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you today. We're all going to be waiting with great anticipation uh, for the books of Jacob. Um, and I also warmly recommend to listeners to, to look out for Jennifer's own book, uh, her memoir, Homesick. Thanks for joining us at Notes from Poland. Thank you so much for having me. Did you not publish a translation of of some of her reflections in the New York Times as well? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. We might have to cut. We'll cut this bit out and we'll put it in the bloopers at the end. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. Um, Maybe I did. All right. Um, I've got to work out what I'm going to say at the beginning.